Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we're in Lord's Day 41. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church. With me today, as always, is my friend and pastor, Jeff Luddington. How you doing today, Jeff? I'm well this morning. Good morning. I am glad to be here. Looking forward to uh, what we're talking about today. I think we have an opportunity, uh, as we did last time, to be, um, let's call it, authentically biblical, kind of talk about what Scripture says, and I think also be authentically Christian and admit where uh, where Christians kind of fall down on the job sometimes. We talked about that a little bit last time. Uh, but obviously, before we get there, uh, if you're listening and you're joining in, and maybe this is the first time you've listened to a podcast with us, we are working our way through a 450-year-old catechism, which is a way that the church has used for uh, you know, thousands of years to train people. And it's just really memorizing questions and answers uh, to memorize truth. A lot like we do in school. If you're going to school and you uh, you know, memorize, you know, the equation for something in math, you have that when you need it. And so that's kind of the idea is we're memorizing truth. And the truth is scriptural. The catechism is just a way of learning scripture. And so we're in the middle, uh, we're actually in the back end of um, of this podcast series. There'll be 52 episodes, um, and they're in the catechism called Lord's Days. We're on episode 41 or, or Lord's Day 41. And there's a couple questions and answers we're going to talk about today, but we're in this section talking about the Ten Commandments. And so we're in the how do we live out our faith section of the catechism. And so Heidelberg Catechism, we will post the questions and answers in the show notes on the podcast. We will post the scriptures that we reference or talk about. And uh, so if you're listening while on a run or driving or any other thing where you should not be looking at your phone, uh, we want you to be able to have those things. You can come back and reference them later. So uh, you're ready, Rob? I have these two questions ready for you. I have the easy job. My questions are short. Your answers <laughs> are long. So I have the easier of the two jobs for sure. Great. And you might want to mention just which uh, which of the commandments we're talking about, because it doesn't mention that in the, in the yeah. questions. So, yeah, man, uh, this we're going to be talking about today. Um, really the commandment to not commit adultery, which is the way that it's often said in Scripture or written in Exodus. And so what our conversation is today is, what does that mean for the Christian, right? That's a really narrow sin. Like there's, you know, this is pretty clear. If you're married, don't cheat kind of thing. So the catechism is actually saying, okay, is that really what it's about? And so uh, with that, which is a really good thing to say. So thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. So we're looking at the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, and we're asking, what does that mean to the Christian today? I'll tee off with the question, uh, if, if you're a fan of the catechism, it's question and answer 108 and 109. If you're not, and you're on for the ride, just listen up, and here they are. First question, what does the seventh commandment teach us? That God condemns all unchastity, and that therefore we should thoroughly detest it and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Let's uh, just define that real quick. So unchastity and chaste um, are kind of dated terms. So think impure 
and pure. So God condemns all impure, impurity, and commands us to live pure lives. That'd probably be a better, more modern way of saying that. But the catechism uses unchastity and live chaste lives. So here we go. Second question or question 109, does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. It's really good. And um, if we think of maybe purity is a word we understand in a modern-day context versus chastity, um, but purity in the, in the sense of undefiled is probably more of a biblical thought where purity, if we're thinking about keeping our marriage pure, then people get that, right? P- keeping our relationship pure. People understand that. Not watering it down or corrupting it or corroding it with sin. And so um, we're in this section asking about the commandment against adultery. And uh, as we talked about last week, when we talked about uh, the commandment to not commit murder, uh, and we ended up, we kind of talked about things like uh, death penalty, abortion, war, uh, other things, right? As well as the commandment to love people being the positive command. Um, there is a bit of hypocrisy often in Christianity. And we just want to admit that up front that um, we talked about this last time. Sometimes uh, Christians are very, very uh, loud and vocal and, and boisterous about abortion. But they're not as loud about caring for people in poverty or uh, immigrant children or something, right? There's, there's, there's an inconsistency there. And I will say, and I'll just lead off today with when we talk about purity in marriage, um, Christians have a tendency towards inconsistency in this area. And um, uh, we'll often, when I'm teaching, I'll often say, you know, that Christians will say that they are champions of traditional marriage, and that typically means one man, one woman. And then, uh, but the inconsistency is that the divorce rate inside the church, uh, people that attend church actually have a higher divorce rate than people outside the church. And there's, there's a lot of factors. People outside the church are less likely to get married, more likely to live together. Um, people in the church are most, more likely to um, impose marriage upon their relationship, thinking that will be their obedience, right? And oftentimes that results in a, in a divorce. And so there's some inconsistency here um, when the church wants to loudly speak against same-sex marriage, but doesn't manage its own marriages between one man and one woman very well. Outsiders look and say, hey, man, you're, you're being hypocritical, you're being inconsistent. And I think that that's a fair critique of the church. So today we're going to use this and define this as that God has created both sex, gender, sexuality, and marriage. And that because God created that, God gets to govern it or regulate it or tell us how it best works, right? And uh, it's the difference between having a minivan and a sports car, right? You have a sports car. It does one set of things. It does not haul around a lot of people. It hauls butt, but it does not haul a lot of butts. Let's just say that. You have a minivan, you can haul around a lot of people, but much slower and take turns at much less speed. So everything has a function and something that works right. And God created marriage. God created gender. God created sex. And there is a way that they work rightly according to God. 
and uh, the implications pour out in our lives. So uh, I always like to define this as uh, sex is created for one man and one woman consensually inside the boundaries of marriage to be explored for a lifetime. And anything outside of that, the Bible calls sexual sin. The Greek word there is porneia, which we'll talk about where we get our word porn from in a minute. But Rob, as we open that up, man, uh, what do you see as some modern day themes or implications of this? Well, I wanted to start with this just because we're seeing some kind of consistent themes as we go through these. Um, you mentioned the hypocrisy. We'll, we'll talk about boundaries or limits in a little while. But um, back when we talked about the, the fourth commandment, you just mentioned that, that the way God created, right? God mm-hmm. created yeah. and intended this. Um, back in the fourth commandment, we talked about the Sabbath. And I think that was episode 38. If, you're, if you didn't hear that one, go back and listen. Or maybe just go back and listen to all of them. Um, but in that one, you would, we had talked about um, that it was established, the Sabbath was established at creation, not, not after the fall. Um, and so it was a creation ordinance, and there was some differences as to how it was to be viewed. Uh, does this commandment fall in that because of when marriage was instituted, or is this something different? Yeah, that's a great observation, uh, by the way, that um, I'd never considered the way you tied these things together. And so um, if you're listening to this episode, this is the first one, uh, when we talk about the Sabbath that God created, uh, you know, heaven and earth, moon, sun, stars, uh, plants, living things, including humanity, and as it's all created and is all good and humanity is very good, the crown jewel of creation, God says that the seventh day will be holy, set apart for relationship with him. And so all of that takes place before sin enters into human history. So it's called a creation ordinance um, where other things are not called a creation ordinance. Last week, we talked about thou shalt not murder. <laughs> so before sin, murder wasn't even the rule. It was just, you know, obey God, right? And so, but God did create gender. God did create marriage. God did create sex. Give that to the married couple. God facilitated the first marriage. And uh, and then says, be fruitful and multiply, right? Gives them the command. Enjoy this. This is created. It's, it feels good because God made it to feel good. It, it is a good experience because God created it that way. But I wouldn't say that this, you shall not commit adultery as a creation ordinance. Um, one, because adultery wasn't an option at first, right? And because it wasn't about what you don't do. It was about what you do, right? Be fruitful and multiply had the implication of one man, one woman, these two people being married for a lifetime. However, what is part of creation is gender, that there are two genders, male and female, and that's it. And and yes, it's a conversation in culture today to talk about non-binary gender and uh, not identifying with your biological gender or whatever else, pronouns that are mixed and not just he or she. Those are all human creations. Um, God created male and female. And then God created marriage. And just as male and female naturally physically fit together, this is a conversation about sexuality and sex and marriage, just as they fit together, that it is natural that marriage is one man, not just natural, but created as one man, one woman. And so in the church, we say anything outside of this breaks those created boundaries and those natural creation boundaries. But do not commit adultery is um, a post-fall commandment, right? And so rather than a, rather than a pre-fall ordinance to do this, which has implications in 
rest, something we as Americans don't do very well, uh, we need to remember that's not a part of the fall. That's a part of creation. We're made that way. But adultery is something that comes after the fall. And so we can learn a lot by discerning what comes before and what comes after sin enters into human history. So let me use that as an example. One man and one woman, that those are the only two genders and that that's how marriage is made. All that is before sin. And so someone who is same-sex attracted or has gender dysphoria, the idea that they identify with a gender other than their biology, all that comes after the fall. In fact, long after the fall, many generations after the fall before we're starting to hear anything about that. And why that's important is that Christians need to understand that um, this is an implication of being born in sin. Uh, I remember in the 80s when uh, science was saying you can be born, uh, you know, more prone to homosexuality. You can be born prone to alcoholism or things this way. And Christ Christians were the ones to vocally rebel and say, no, God doesn't create this or whatever. And I would agree. No, God doesn't create sin. We did. But in the fall, someone might be born prone to cancer. Why could not somebody be prone prone to, uh, you know, born prone to something else, a sexual proclivity or a gender issue or something. And so having more than two genders is something after the fall. Having broken marriages is something that happened after the fall. Having a right marriage and two genders and sexuality that is healthy and whole was created before centered into human history. So our job as Christians um, is to figure out how do we do this in a way that glorifies God. Sex should glorify God, not dishonor God or not dishonor ourselves. And as Christians in a modern world where hypocrisy runs wild and there's inconsistencies, we're flawed human beings. We need to be honest about our inconsistencies and talk about all the ways we dishonor God sexually or genderally or relationally, not just the ones that don't look like us. I'm often very critical of the church to point out homosexuality as a sin because really 96% of the world is straight. So it's easy to point out the one thing that you're probably not, you know, um, but let's talk about all the brokenness in marriage and that hits a large section of the church. So let's just be honest. Let's be more transparent. Let's be more critical of ourselves than of others. Great. Yeah. We're, we're, we talked about that last week, as you mentioned, we're, so we're looking at, how to be consistent in your theology, how to be yeah. consistent in what you, what you claim that you are. Um, we also talked last week about the tendency of, of believers to look at these commandments and just say, where's the line, right? With mm -hmm. adultery, is it okay if, I, if I'm thinking a certain way? Is it okay if I'm looking at certain things as long as I'm not acting on them? We want to know what the line is. Um, and you mentioned last week, it's better to look at, um, you know, what God intends and how do I, how do I love my neighbor in this? Um, I was reading a book. I'll, I'll plug the book. I think we're plugging your book later, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Law of Perfect <laughs> Freedom by Michael Horton, okay. one of my favorite authors. And, uh, you know, he focused on a, a better question to ask as opposed to asking what is adultery is to ask what is marriage. Um, he mm. focuses on the covenant and how mm. God relates to us in covenants. And, and one of our primary covenants, if you're married, is your covenant to your 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 husband, your wife. Um, so, yeah, we, if we understand marriage, we better understand why adultery can be so um, damaging. So how would Absolutely. you address that? Yeah. And man, Michael Horton is, is gold, man. His book on covenant theology, his book on freedom, like the, his, he, he is, uh, well, his systematic theologies are 
epic. So yeah, this, this is a modern day living theologian. Uh, we're in Southern California. He's down here in San Diego at Westminster. And um, yeah, man, I, he's always a good read. Um, his stuff on the gospel is powerful too. So when we look at this, when the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, what it's really saying in essence is you should not commit sexual sin, right? The, the Bible is built in with a lot of things like command what to do, one man, one woman, marriage, consensually, sexually living for the rest of your life together, all those things. So that's already built in. But what you should be doing is already there, right? That there are two genders is already there. That marriage is one man, one woman is already there. That sex is to be that thing that seals a marriage, you know, binds two people together uh, in a physical union and causes child, you know, bearing and things like that. You know, and so it's all built in what you should do. And then this commandment says, now don't break that. Really, like, don't do other. That's what it's really saying. And so um, we need to say anything outside of one man, one woman consensually having sex for a lifetime inside the boundaries of marriage. Anything outside of that is sex. The new, t- I mean, is sin. The the New Testament word for sexual sin is porneia. I mentioned that earlier. That's the Greek term. And that's where we get our word pornography. And, uh, you know, I don't <laughs> I have a whole lot of experience with watching porns, but uh, porn, I mean, you know, before I became a Christian, I was exposed to pornography and, you know, magazines or whatever, and, you know, have my own history of sexual sin or whatever. Uh, but I don't imagine, I don't know enough about this, so maybe I'm wrong, but I don't imagine that porn movies uh, ever, you know, show faithful, you know, uh, Adam coming home to his wife of 25 years, Eve, with their grown children and grandchildren and inside the boundaries of marriage, you know, having sex. You know, I imagine most porno- pornography is, you know, the, you know, the, the joke of like the, you know, the, the plumber comes over and all of a sudden he's with the wife or whatever. I mean, it's always this thing that's outside of marriage. It's always this thing that breaks God's view of what he designed. And so we have to understand that when we're looking outside of it, Right. We're looking at the ways you defile this or the ways that you make it common. You see, marriage and this, I don't know if Horton touches on this, but I assume he does. Marriage is holy. It's set apart. It's different. It's my one relationship that is different than every other relationship. Right. Not even with our kids or with our friends or with our family. My marriage is different. Right. It's holy. It's set apart. It's different. And so pornography, uh, men and women, uh, in fact, women more commonly are drifting towards pornography. It used to be more a male sin. Um, romantic issues used to be more like romance novels and things like that for women. But now with uh, things like Fifty Shades of Grey and whatever, I know there were sequels to that, whatever that was, um, have women have become more drawn to pornography, which ultimately is what Fifty Shades of Grey is. Premarital sex is obviously probably one of the most common sins among humanity since the birth of man. But um, And then, you know, extramarital Obviously, you know, sleeping with somebody when you're married, somebody that's not your wife or your spouse, or your husband. Um, and then now, obviously, today, same sex, uh, same sex sexual activity. Um, and again, uh, what I want to say is anything outside of what God created is equally sin. Does that make sense so far? Man, I want to I want to pull up a passage on Romans. But does, is that clear? Am I being clear about that, Rob? Yeah, yeah, I think you are. I think it's it's that focus of what is intended by God and then what what mankind chooses to do instead. Yeah. Okay, good. I you know, I, I asked that again. We're we're recording this. We don't edit. Man, we just post these things after we do them. Uh, you know, uh so I want to make sure I'm clear. I wanna 
by doing that, uh, Romans 1, uh, if you have interest in this, I, the second chapter of my book deals with this question. And uh, I work my way through Romans. That's why it's in the second chapter. It's in the latter half of Romans 1. Um, but uh, are all sins equal is what I'm answering in the book. And I, and I use this passage of Romans 1, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes, uh, verses 24 through 27. And this is often used by conservative Christians to say that homosexuality is wrong. And I, I don't disagree with that, but I think it's an incomplete answer. So Romans 1 says, Therefore God has given them up to the lust of their, uh, the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now that's not homosexuality yet. It's the next two verses. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, meaning men, men committing shameless acts with men, it says, and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their errors. So those two verses hit homosexuality, right? But the verses prior to that talk about impurity and talk about sin in general. And so, um, the next two verses are going to talk about all manner of unrighteousness, covetous, malice, envy, murder, strife, gossiping, slander, blah, 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 right? But the big picture is not the sins that Paul is highlighting to the Romans. It's not the point of it is not homosexuality and or gossip or murder. The point is when we trade in worship of the creator God for anything created, right? So when I trade in worship of God for worship of sex, I am likely to do whatever is fulfilling sexually. But I'm trading worship of God for worship of something created. Same thing is true of if I worship money, right? I'm trading in my worship of God for worship of gold, something God created, or whatever, like you know, power or whatever. And so the sin that we focus on is is not worshiping anything other than God. And pornography, premarital sin, same sex, extramarital, all these different things are worship of sex. And so when we take our eyes off of God, we, re, we, we move our worship from God to created things, we're likely to fall into all these sins, right? And then whether that mean, uh, you know, heterosexual or homosexual sins, all versions of the same sin, which is breaking what God designed. All right. Yeah. Great, great word on that. Um, as we get to the end of this, I think it's important that we focus on, we've been mentioning that this part of the, the commandments, this table or tablet of the commandments deals with loving our neighbor. And yeah. I think that um, when you look at this particular sin, um, it's not limited to just the people involved. I mean, there's, there's it, a lot of people say, well, you've got the person who is, cheating and the person who is cheated on. Um, yeah. And that's it. But there's so much more to it than this. And even people who will say, well, you know, if it's just the husband and wife and, and you know, he's viewing porn or whatever happens to be or she is, um, they don't bring into account the people that are involved in that industry and sometimes against their will. And, and so everybody that's involved in this, um, if we're focusing on loving our neighbor, um, this can be such an unloving thing to do, not just to our spouse, but to somebody else's spouse and somebody else and, and children, if they're involved. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say to address that is, is how does this connect with the loving our neighbor aspect? 
Well, yeah, I would say if, you know, you hear the command for God to tell you to love your neighbor, it is uh, fully clothed, love your neighbor. So, uh, no, okay, that's probably not what you're asking me. So uh, keep your pants on when you're loving your neighbor. But um, no, this is, uh, I think that's a a great question. Uh, We try and act like this is a victimless sin, like, hey, me and -and so-and-so both agreed to sleep together, so we're not hurting anybody. And that's that's common, right? People will say that. And um, I would say this, rather than trying to unpack who's in the sex industry, uh, who are the children of the person or whatever, or, you know, what I trying to unpack that, I would just say this. Imagine if we just kept this one commandment from God. And if the commandment is, hey, I will give you sex as a gift. You wait until you're married. You marry, you know, it's one man and one woman. You get married and then consensually you explore sex for the rest of your life, right? You enjoy it have at it, right? Go do your thing. Don't include anybody else. Don't watch anything else. Don't, you know, and it's, and it's inside consensually inside the boundaries of marriage. Obey that one commandment from God. And let me just give you a quick snapshot of what goes away in the world. Imagine all those unwanted children that are made out of marriage or out of wedlock or extramaritally that goes away. You might have some surprise pregnancies, but those surprises would be in the, in the inside the boundaries of marriage, right? You would have two parents now. So single parenthood goes away unless, of course, somebody dies, right? Uh, Sexually transmitted diseases goes away. AIDS is cured. You know, all the other sexually transmitted diseases, they all go away because you never get them. You can't transmit them. You marry someone who's never been with anybody else. You can't get it. You can't give it away. Imagine all the image issues inside of women where they are constantly comparing themselves to airbrushed images on a screen. Like in the case of pornography, trust me, no wife has ever found her husband watching porn and not felt cheated on, right? Not felt slighted and not compared herself. Well, if I just meant that, and I, because I do counseling, I'm a pastor all the time. If maybe if I, the woman will say, and she fills in the blank, he wouldn't have had to go there. And they blame themselves. Like all that goes away, right? All those things go away. If we just, com, com, uh, just fulfilled this one command, the, the, the implications on children being loved and wanted and growing up in families, the, um, the level of divorces would drastically go down. The, the disease would go away. Sexually transmitted disease would go away. All these things, image issues in women would be transformed by just keeping this one commandment. God knows what he's doing when he builds and creates and gives it to us. He's not trying to remove joy from us. He is trying to provide for us, not trying to. He is providing for us true joy, true peace, true happiness for a lifetime. Great. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to finish up with this. I think this may be one of those uh, messages where you've heard it and you feel convicted. You feel guilty of something. You feel like there's something maybe you need to to work on, confess, Um you know, try to improve on in, in your life, whether it's in your marriage, your single life, whatever ha- that happens to be. Um, be aware of the fact there is forgiveness. There is the opportunity to yeah. um, to heal a, a marriage or a relationship where this has taken place. Um, I would encourage you find a, a path. If you've got a pastor you can talk to or an elder in your church or a good friend uh, to talk to. If you're listening and you don't have a church home or, or we're your church home, um, we have an, an uh, address you can go to. Um, our website, Gen Family, that's a G at the beginning, G-E-N family dot church forward slash prayer. 
And you can go on there and leave a prayer request. We do check those. Often someone will follow up with you. If you want to just put something in there and say, hey, I need prayer. I need some counseling. I need some advice. Um, please, I encourage you to do that. And uh, we will follow up with you and, and we will we'll help you through this time and, and be aware of the fact you're not alone. Um, you know, this is a common struggle that people have and, and you will get a chance to talk to somebody who can relate and, and who can help you hopefully lead you in the right direction. So we'll close with that. We want to thank you for listening to the Generations Church podcast. Again, just a reminder, every Tuesday we release a new Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude episode. So we we'll hope you'll join us, uh, share us with your friends and family, uh, leave us a review, and we look forward to having you join us again next week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.